the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Cheers. Bottoms up. I'll drink to that. Do you know what happened 85 years ago today? The big deal. Prohibition was repealed. Imagine what it was like all over America on that day. Just imagine if today were the day that after 13 years, people were allowed to drink legally again. Not that they ever stopped, but just think about what it would be like around here if today was the day that the bars were open for the first time in 13 years. I can't even imagine what it would be like. Now, I don't drink and only drank when I was in college, and the only reason I drank then was to get drunk like everybody else. Uh, I never really liked the stuff, so it's the, you know I, I just don't drink. So if prohibition had lasted, it wouldn't have, it's not going to it wouldn't have bothered me all that much. The problem, of course, was that it was one of the dumbest things that the federal government ever did, and it took an amendment to the Constitution to do it, the Eighteenth Amendment. You know, uh, amending the Constitution isn't easy. It requires states, uh, three quarters of the states, uh, the legislatures. It requires a lot of elected officials in a lot of states to agree with the original idea, the original stupidity, to get it passed. And it's it's hard to believe that anybody with a brain thought that it would work. And apparently, lots of people in lots of states thought it was a good idea. Otherwise, the amendment would not have happened. So, of course, what it did was give birth to organized crime because people weren't going to quit drinking. They were going to get it wherever they could get it. And, of course, the birth giving birth to organized crime gave birth to a lot of really good movies. Uh, but it ruined a lot of people's lives. And believe it or not, if you drink, you're still being affected by this dumb idea, especially here in Pennsylvania. Uh, and maybe you've wondered, and, and you're still being affected by it even if you don't drink, by the way. And maybe you've wondered why you can only buy booze in a state store or why until recently you could only buy beer by the six-pack in a bar or by the case at a distributor. When I was a kid, the drinking age in West Virginia was 18. You could drink whatever you wanted, liquor included. We used to drive down to Wheeling, and uh, it wasn't good because people got hurt coming back in car accidents, and it was dumb, but... Just in one state, it was 21. Here in Pennsylvania, it was 18 in West Virginia. And that the, rule, the laws are different all over the country still when it comes to booze. So with Christmas and New Year's Day coming up, you might be buying an extra bottle of something here and there over the next few weeks. And when we come back, we're going to tell you how you'll still be paying the price for one of the dumbest things ever done by the federal government, prohibition, and it ended 85 years ago today. Stick around. Don't be at a disadvantage when it comes to your Medicare coverage. The 2018 Donut Hole is closing fast. Open enrollment ends December 7th, and you have some important decisions to make today. This is John Stagerwald. Medicare is confusing. Todd Marley and the experts at Marley Financial know you have questions, and they have the answers you're looking for. Before you lock in for another year, are you sure you're getting the best coverage possible? Visit MarleyFG.com and find out for yourself. Do you hold Pat for 2019? Has your Advantage plan changed terms on you? What premiums are going up next year, and how much? Should you switch your Part D prescription plan or drop it all together? Don't go it alone. Let Marley Financial steer you to a comprehensive solution that lets you access any hospital or doctor you want. A plan that focuses not just on cost, but quality. With lower deductibles and co-pays that are little to none. Why get stuck paying thousands in out-of-pocket expenses? Visit MarleyFG.com today. That's MarleyFG.com. Are you about to pay double for roof replacement or repair? If you haven't called Windows or Us, you just might. 
Many companies are overcharging area homes and businesses nearly double. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is more than a window company. They're the area's premier exterior replacement company for siding, doors, gutters, downspouts, and roof replacement and repair. Factory certified by North America's largest roof manufacturer, Windows R Us will never overcharge. You'll love their no-pressure sales approach, straightforward pricing, and the fastest turnaround in the business. Right now, get zero interest for 12 months on up to 20 thousand dollars windows are us will match any competitor's price no hidden fees or surprises ever schedule a free roof inspection today mention am 1250 for an exclusive 10 percent off why pay double visit the area's premier exterior replacement company windows are us more than a window company visit windows truth is timeless at the original mattress factory our business philosophy is based on honesty and truth and it never changes. Simply stated, we treat our customers the way we want to be treated ourselves. This means we treat people with respect, we educate rather than manipulate, and we offer genuine value and substantial savings, not simply by saying it, but by proving it with cutaways of our mattresses compared side-by-side with the mainstream brands. Stop by one of our store locations or visit us at OriginalMattress.com to see the OMF difference for yourself. Here at the Original Mattress Factory, we'd like to know, is it better to give or receive? One lucky winner in each of our markets will get to make that choice for themselves this Christmas. In the spirit of the season, we will be giving away a queen-size orthopedic luxury firm mattress set for each winner to either give to a loved one or receive for themselves. Visit any of our stores by December 18th to enter and for all official rules. No purchase is necessary to win, but eligibility restrictions do apply. May your holiday be merry and bright, and you always sleep tight. Everybody's doing it, and everybody's making money at it, except you. You're losing holiday business to your online competitors, and you don't know how to get in the game. Talk to us at Salem Surround, digital marketing experts who offer a free analysis of your digital marketing effectiveness, even if you have none, and suggest methods that could dramatically increase your sales coming out of this season. We can design and implement all of your online marketing under one roof, give you monthly reports on results, and instantly move your dollars to the most effective areas of your online advertising and sales. Social marketing, geofencing, web search enhancement, event targeting, and more. Now, there are no limitations on where you can reach customers with Salem Surround, increasing sales dramatically. Learn more by logging on to surroundpittsburgh.com. That's surroundpittsburgh.com, connecting you with new customers. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Well, as I told you at the top of the show, uh, today is the 85th anniversary of the ratification of the 21st Amendment. That's the one that repealed prohibition and let everybody in America buy, sell, and drink uh, alcohol again, legally. Ellie Bufkin of The Federalist did a great job looking into the history of this stupidity and how it's still affecting everybody today, and she joins us now. Ellie, thanks for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. So I've lived in uh, Pennsylvania most of my life, and I always thought that we had some of the dumbest laws possible when it came to alcohol. Anybody who's listening now who has lived here for a long time, and especially if they're of a certain age, will know exactly what I'm talking about, but... But you found lots of states with lots of dumb laws that originated with prohibition and I, and I guess still exist. Who gets your vote for the dumbest right now? Well, like you being from Pennsylvania, I'm from Virginia. So, oh, boy. And, and unfortunately, Pennsylvania and Virginia are two of the very worst uh, because they both have an ABC board, which controls all of the sales. Uh, so I'm going to go with Virginia, but it's only because of my personal experience. I've certainly heard horror stories about uh, Pennsylvania as well. Yeah, we have LB, uh, the, the LCB here, and you have ABC. I guess that's alcohol, right. uh, I don't know. Well, uh, this is the uh, liquor, yeah. liquor Control Board. Yeah, it's the same thing, alcohol beverage control. And, so it's exactly the same thing. And one of the things that they have, I mean, I can't remember specifically because I don't own a bar, but I, I have some friends who do and have owned them, and I used to hang out in bars once in a while when I was younger, but... Um, you know, you, there's laws about how, whether or not you can serve potato chips and popcorn and peanuts uh, because that that makes people thirstier and then will want them, cause them to want to drink more beer. So, I mean, they the, some of the rules that the LCB had, I wish I had some of the a list of some of them in front of me, but the stupidity just goes on and on, doesn't it? And, and what, yeah. go, go ahead. <laughs> yes, it absolutely does. And, and actually, Virginia's got a rule about not being able to serve spirited drinks unless 
uh, 55% of your, you know, revenue is for food. Yeah, um, we have that here too. Discount yeah. beer and wine. Yeah, and it's just, it's ridiculous. And it's so um, constricting for businesses to be able to, to thrive and to take care of their customers the way that they want to. Uh, just because of these ridiculous and extremely antiquated, uh, nonsensical laws. Now, th- with these laws, uh, from based on what just what you've uh, you've looked into this and what you've come out of this with, do you, do you believe that these laws would not exist if prohibition hadn't been uh, brought in? And in, in the Eighteenth Amendment, what year was it? Nineteen twenty-one. Yeah. Twenty. Nineteen twenty. Uh, yeah. Nineteen 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 is when Eighteenth uh, was ratified, and the nineteen twenty is when uh, when the Volstead Act uh, yeah. enacted the uh, the prohibition. Um, but yes, I mean, I don't think that th- things would exist the way that they did. Um, now, that doesn't mean that I believe in federal control over liquor. I certainly believe that individual states' rights should have their own, yeah. uh, you know, ability to judge what's best for their state. But at the same time, what we've got is fifty different states operating with to- totalitarian. Uh, uh, reign over what happens with alcohol. And they can, you know, and the laws were created uh, in a way that was so constraining and then only beneficial to the state because they incurred so many citations and taxes um, that it's just, there's no way that you can see any kind of benefit to the consumer nor the producer or the, or the retailer. And usually when the state um, is telling you that it's doing it for your own good, more often than not, it's not for your own good. It's kind of for the state's own good, isn't it? That's absolutely correct. So in, in the form of what? Taxes. Uh, this, they, exactly. And the more they control it, the more they can levy ta- the more things they have to levy taxes upon? Yes. And one of the examples I cited in my um, article today was that, you know, in Virginia, and I think it's the same in Pennsylvania, uh, like a craft distiller has to sell all of their products first to the state before they're allowed to sell it back to the customers. So if you go to, you know, a craft distillery and you taste some whiskeys that you really like and you want to buy a bottle to take home with you, the distiller can give you the bottle, but then they have to send every penny of that sale down to, you know, in our case, Richmond, and when and then they receive less than half of that back in revenue. And so, there's there's literally no benefit to that for the distiller, for the consumer. It's just uh, an opportunity for taxation. So wait a minute. So if I if so if I go to buy a I, I buy, a, buy a bottle of whiskey, does that, does that also uh, apply to wine? Uh, yes, it does. In well, so, Virginia, it does. So if you go to a winery in in Virginia and buy a bottle of wine, the person who sold you the wine has to send every penny you spent on the wine to the state of Virginia. I think- I think there might be because there's some agricultural legislation that's passed in the wake of uh, breweries and wineries becoming more important to the state's uh, sort of agro-tourism. There are some now exceptions where it's like a tavern law, so you can go in and buy directly from only for wine. I mean, this, this control over hard liquor is definitely, you know, more stringent. Yeah. Um, and that gives me an opportunity also to discuss there is legislation possible everywhere that can make things better for everybody. But it's something that's not often fought for. You know, alcohol is kind of a taboo subject. You know, it's, a lot of people have problems because of it. You know, some families certainly have you know been destroyed because of it. So there's a lot of pushback on wanting to take down regulation of something that's, you know, what they consider to almost be an illicit substance. But, you know, it's people's right to do what they want to do. Uh, and the state's control is just untethered yeah and and um what about uh idaho they've got an interesting one uh yeah so this is the uh, they don't allow infused spirits so if you want to make uh like you know tequila that's uh infused with jalapenos you you have to buy it already flavored from the distiller personally you can't do it yourself so in this day and age everybody wants to have sort of a craft cocktail bar and make these fun flavors, but in Idaho, you try to do that, they're going to come in and confiscate every single thing that you've got. Back now, there. you're going to have to explain that to me. Because I don't drink, and I what I know what a craft beer is, but what is a craft? Uh, what is what is a craft non beer? So the idea, anything that's like the word craft, it's sort of overused. It's kind of yeah. like oh, uh, mixology or anything like that. Um, but it, it means that there's. Uh, there's thought put into its making. It's not a mass-produced item. Uh, you know, like a Budweiser is not a craft beer. Craft beer is something that you right. get from pumpkin flavor. The local brew yeah. Exactly. And and this craft cocktail is the same thing. It's something that you know the the bartenders have thoughtfully come up with recipes, and it's not just you know a margarita mix that gets shaken with you know real tequila. Yeah. It's something that's that's really thoughtful and nice. And, uh, <laughs> so you, and you can't not, have that. Yeah. 
Exactly. So you can't have that in Idaho. And they're they're using the excuse that, oh, well, we're protecting the customers from consuming and buying an inferior product. But the reality is it's just an excuse for them to be involved in every single asset of the of the transaction. And um, <clears throat> and maybe people think, well, who goes to Idaho? But Idaho is a big ski um, mm-hmm. resort area. And I, I have yep. a feeling that when people go skiing, they like to also stop at the bar and have a drink. Yes, so absolutely. they're dealing it's with huge, this when they go Snake skiing. River is, yeah, yep, exactly. You know, Snake River is a huge place for as a huge resort with uh, you know skiing and that kind of yeah. thing. And uh, there's lots of places like that, and it's all over the state. Um, and that's an example. And, and actually, our Street uh, Institute uh, put together a lot of these really crazy examples in a report that they released today. Uh, and I really appreciate that. But there's there was just the top twelve. So there's hundreds, maybe even thousands, of laws that are so absurd and restrictive um you know i'm i'm most familiar with virginia but i'm sure everybody in every state has their own you know list of gripes of you know what they've got to deal with in order to uh survive either you know as a as a distributor as a producer or you know as a retailer well the thing is it's been 85 years since Mm -hmm. prohibition ended so we're 85 years into this and the stupidity uh, how has it been able to last this long and why, well, I why, think. Go ahead. No, 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 I, I honestly think that it's just people got used to it. I, I really feel like the 13 years of prohibition uh, between 1920 and 1933 had people so exhausted by the federal ban that by the time the states got the the, the rights restored to to be able to serve liquor, um, they were so grateful that it took them years to realize that some of these laws were actually pretty restrictive. I mean, Mississippi actually had. Uh, continued prohibition and would remain a dry state until 1966. Uh, Kansas didn't have a bar outside of a club until 1987. So there's lots of, uh, there was a lot of sentiment left over from prohibition that really bled into many, many decades later. And I think, you know, now that it's been 85 years, we all kind of look at it as tradition. You know, this is just how it is. Virginia's a crazy state. You know, that's, you know, that's just how it works, you know, but, uh, well, the other yeah. element that's added here, I believe, I think I'm right about this, is that the the state stores, which is where you have to go to buy booze, yeah. um, they're unionized, and huh. so uh, if you want to, if 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 a politician wants to say, hey, look, this is ridiculous, this is antiquated, there will be um, a fuss made by somebody that it's going to cost people jobs, and they have control of it, and I think so. That, again, it's the government involved. But it's you know, taking care of the unions. That's right. I mean, I don't know if it's unionized here, but it's certainly government employees that work at the ABC stores. And there's definitely, you know, I've read a few articles about how, you know, they're, they want more ABC control because they want to provide more government jobs uh, for people in the ABC business. And it's uh, it's not, you know, for local communities. It's for the, you know, the state government, um, which is just so backwards from what it should be. Uh, but, you know, people are used to it. And, you know, right. in Virginia, if you own a restaurant and you want to go pick up a case of vodka for your busy you know, weekend, you can't have that delivered. You have to go to the store just like anyone else and pick it up and buy it and pay full price. And, you know, everybody who wants local businesses, everyone says they want local businesses in their community. But when you put restrictive rules like that, you're 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 completely stopping them from being able to. Uh, to exist in a a realistic way. Talk to Ali Bufkin of The Federalist, who did a really good job of uh, investigating how, even though it's been 85 years ago today since uh, Prohibition was repealed, that everybody who likes to drink and who likes to sell it or buy it uh, by alcohol uh, is still being affected by it. Uh, I I can remember I grew up uh, in an area here in the South Hills area of Pittsburgh, um, Mount Lebanon, Scott Township area, and uh, a friend of mine, his parents owned the St. Clair Lounge, which was on Bower Hill Road, and but it was in Mount Lebanon. And so mm. this was a while back, but it, they could sell beer, but they but Mount Lebanon was dry when it came to hard alcohol. So they, they, they could only sell beer across the street. Also on Bower Hill Road, it was Scott Township, and they could sell whatever they wanted. So... You mean yeah. one side of the street it was okay to sell uh, alcohol, uh, hard alcohol, and on the other side it wasn't. The same state, same country. It's amazing, and, and, and it's funny too because I'm, I'm going to guess that you agree with me that you don't like federal laws. You'd rather have it be localized, but right. with something like this, it causes unbelievable uh, confusion and stupidity. Right. 
And and I think the fight is the fight is won by local communities fighting for legislation to change these laws. I don't think that the solution is in a federal government overhaul that voids the state's rights. But I think that communities should decide what's best for themselves. And we've just become so accustomed to these ridiculous regulations that there's just not a huge there's not a huge fight for them. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's it's time for a change. It's been 85 years since Prohibition. It's time for more. It's time for more freedom. <laughs> but again, you know, Ellie, you're talking about change, but it's one thing to change a federal law, but mm-hmm. you've got 50 states, 57 yeah. if you're Barack Obama, but you have 50 states <laughs> and you have to, uh, um, you know, and, and if you're driving in your car or you know, you're in one state one minute and another state the next, and you, you're you mm. affected by it. It also yep. affects the, the companies that are trying to sell the, uh, the, the product because of the different Absolutely. laws in different states, right? Absolutely. And actually, this is an enormously important point right now because this is um, – we have a huge influx of online wine sort of steward programs where you can, you know, go in and sign up and say, I like this and this. And then they'll mail it to you. Well, that's not true because if you live in you know X number of states, and I, I can't name them all, they don't allow yeah. importation of liquor through the mail, uh, wine or beer. So you 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 can't sign it. Or a label that they put on in California isn't approved by the state that you live in. So then you can't have that because it's got to be a specific label. Or the deliveries have to be signed for by an adult who's got an ID. And, you know, if you live in an apartment building, that doesn't work. I mean, so there's all kinds of, of problems for businesses that are trying to expand and thrive on the national level. Um, you know, not to mention advertisers who have to have a different ad campaign for 50 states right. when, they, when they release a new product. I mean, it's just it, it's unbelievable. The level uh, of, um, of problems because of these laws is, is uh, there's no bottom. Yeah, I, I lived in uh, I was living in Pennsylvania and I went to college in Ohio. And in Pennsylvania, you had to be 21 to drink. But in Ohio, you could be 18, but you couldn't buy liquor. You could only buy 3-2 beer. Do you know what 3-2 beer is? I don't. <laughs> See? Just because you're not old enough. 3-2 beer Three two beer was beer that only was 3.2% alcohol. Gotcha. As opposed to, I, I don't know what uh, non-3-2 beer is. But you you could you were able to drink, but it was three. you knew it was 3-2 beer. So you know what that meant? You just had to drink more of it. <laughs> To get drunk, you know. I mean, I, I think that that's going to. Uh, that's just a, so to me. That's a perfect example, and that's forty, fifty years ago that they thought that was going to prevent young people from getting drunk. When all it did was just cause you to drink more. You, you, if you were not to get drunk, right? You know, it took you twice as long. But uh, back then, a, a draft was about a nickel. But anyway, you know, so uh, Ellie, we got uh, the marijuana situation now is in its infancy, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and and it's state by state. So what's going to happen with that? Well, it seems to be it is state by state, but it seems to be every year that we have an election, there's just another um, sort of cascade of of new uh, laws that make it more and more illegal. And it's still in a funny place where even places where it's technically legal, like Washington D.C., it's not uh, you can't buy it or sell it. You've got to receive it as a gift when you buy like you know a smoking tin or something. Yeah. So it's in the same funny place where they're trying to make these rules and there's immediate workarounds i mean people are clever people who are trying to make money know how to to make the law work for them um so i I, you know i definitely think that marijuana is headed for a a full 50 state you know legality um you know within within our lifetimes i mean it might take some time um but i think you know it with with alcohol i think we try to you know we should have learned our lesson with prohibition Mm -hmm. which is that when you tell people they can't have something they're just going to work that much harder to have it anyway and during Prohibition, there were more people consuming too much alcohol than there were before Prohibition. There were more speakeasies at the end of Prohibition than there were saloons before Prohibition. So they didn't solve anything. They just made everything illegal and therefore made more crimes, uh, and that allowed for more corruption. And it's going to be the same thing with marijuana. It's sort of the next frontier. Yeah, it all worked out really well for Al Capone. Yeah, exactly. He wouldn't have done. He wouldn't have been anybody without prohibition. We wouldn't know his name if not for prohibition. So, and, and uh, marijuana is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be everywhere. So, uh, I guess mm-hmm. the, the government will try it. It's best to once it becomes legal to get their hands on it and tax it. Hey, Ellie, I'm out of time. Always good to have you on. Appreciate it. Great piece at thefederalist.com. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, that's Ellie Rufkin, and uh, she writes good stuff there at the Federalist. Check it out. The Federalist. When we come back, 
We've got a fraternity and a sorority, a couple of them at Harvard. It got some, well, guts. We'll talk about it when we come back. Stay where you are. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. More than 3,000 people packed the Washington National Cathedral to pay tribute to former President George H.W. Bush. Historian John Meacham eulogized Bush, calling the nation's 41st president America's last great soldier statesman. A 20th century founding father. Former Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney remembered Bush as a genuine leader. One who was distinguished, resolute, and brave. And former President George W. Bush recalled telling his father on the phone just before he died that he had been a wonderful dad and that he loved him. And the last words he would ever say on earth were, I love you too. Bush will be buried at his presidential library on Thursday. Greg Clugston, Washington. The stock markets were closed today for the day of mourning for President Bush. This is SRN News. Hi, this is Alexander Green, Chief Investment Strategist for the Oxford Club. Just for a moment, I'd like you to picture the perfect stock. No doubt it would have hundreds of billions in revenue, more than IBM, Facebook, and Google. It would probably be a leader in cutting-edge technology like smartphones and robotics. It would be on the verge of dozens of blockbuster announcements. But most of all, it would be ultra-cheap, trading at less than $3 a share. Now, it may seem crazy that such a stock exists, but it does. It's a cutting-edge tech company that has made deals worth hundreds of millions of dollars with Nokia, Microsoft, and Cisco, and a $29.2 billion deal with Apple. It's set to create 50,000 new jobs right here in America, and Donald Trump even calls it the eighth wonder of the world. Yet you've likely never even heard of the stock. Why? Because it trades under a secret name. To find out why the secret $3 stock could help you retire, simply go to OneStockRetirement.com. That's OneStockRetirement.com. Mike Gallagher explains how dangerous fake news is to our country. Now even residents of Mexico are calling it an invasion. The president is right to talk about fake news. And nobody is better at it than him. Nobody is more effective at it than him. And he is 100% correct that fake news is the enemy of the people. The Mike Gallagher Show, weekdays at 9, right before Dennis Prager at noon on AM 1250. The answer. Economic impact numbers touted by Pittsburgh's professional baseball, football, and hockey franchises are highly questionable. That's especially true given the complete details of the study that produced them have not been made public. And, clearly, there are many factors far more important for economic growth than sports. Find out why business climate, taxes, and the cost of government matter more at AlleghenyInstitute.org, where conventional thinking has been challenged since 1995. Most executors don't want the job, quite frankly. Attorney Michelle Conti, host of Conti's Law, on the importance of proper estate administration. There's a lot of steps to go into settling an estate, and if they don't get it right, not knowing the law isn't a defense to why you didn't do it correctly in the first place. When you pass without appropriate planning, it can be very costly. We see more fractions within families when death and money are involved. If you don't plan appropriately, it's very common. Siblings don't speak anymore. We act as the mediator for that executor to understand the law. We sit down and go through what probate looks like. Once we go through those steps, we'll assist with getting all of the legal documents, getting you sworn in with the local court, and starting that probate process. And then we will act as the mediator with the beneficiaries and the executor. Hear more on Conti's Law, Sunday morning at 8.30, here on The Answer. For immediate help, visit ContiLawPGH.com. The Answer knows what our fan club members really want for Christmas. One you're actually allowed to have. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Don't shoot your eye out. Enter our fan club Christmas giveaway at TheAnswerPGH.com. Now through December 18th for a chance at great prizes, including $100 gift cards to popular retailers and more. With multiple ways to increase your chance to win. A gift for yourself or someone you love. Enter the fan club Christmas giveaway at TheAnswerPGH.com slash contests. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. 
Plenty of delays out there, especially on the Parkway East outbound Boulevard of the Allies out to Edgewood Swissvale. On the inbound side, slow 2nd Avenue to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Outbound Parkway West delays from Parkway Center Drive to Carnegie and heavy inbound from Green Tree to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Outbound 28 also picking up some volume from Veterans Bridge to 40th Street Bridge and slow outbound 65 up to the Keys Rocks Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer, weather. Some snow and flurries around through early this evening, accumulating a coating to an inch. Watch for some slick spots. The rest of tonight, mostly cloudy, 25. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, 36 degrees. Some snow late tomorrow into tomorrow night will accumulate a coating to an inch or two. Low tomorrow night, 23. Friday, perhaps a flurry early. Otherwise, clouds breaking for some sun, high 30 degrees. I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle on AM 1250, The Answer. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Well, a while back we told you of some major stupidity happening up there at Harvard. Fraternities and sororities were being attacked for being, are you ready, single-sex organizations that, you know, discriminate against one of the sexes, assuming there are only two now, which is... That's another story, I guess, not for right now. But anyway, some sororities caved in, decided to go co-ed. But now fraternities and sororities everywhere are fighting back on this. And it started with a lawsuit against Harvard. Greg Piper is the associate editor of the College Fix. He joins us now. Greg, thanks for being here again. I think we've had you before. Yeah, good to be with you again. Yeah, so before we get to the lawsuit, what is it that somebody at Harvard, uh, just to you know, to, uh, sum up this thing, what is it that somebody at Harvard has or had against fraternities and sororities? Uh, Harvard has had changing explanations for what their problem is. Uh, when this uh, kind of crusade happened uh, first about, uh, about four years ago, uh, the original rationale was that uh, these organizations, specifically uh, uh, final clubs, which are kind of like these, these last year, uh, uh, single-sex organizations had higher rates of sexual assault associated with them. Uh, statistically, it was, it was a pretty bad argument. It was called out at the time by people who actually looked at the methodology of the study and said, this, this actually is, has no merit to it. You're, most of these uh, uh, actual sexual assault allegations, the vast majority are happening in the dorms, not in these off-campus groups. Um, and then they changed it a couple of years ago uh, to say that, no, we're trying to get rid of an atmosphere that's exclusive, that... Um, that promotes elitism, um, that does not recognize our, our diverse and socially conscious student body. And that really irritated um, a lot of the people who had initially supported this policy, thinking that it was an attempt to, uh, to fight sexual assault associated with these groups. So it, ha- it hasn't even stuck with the same rationale throughout this. They, I think they kind of realized that they couldn't go with the original one for much longer. And so uh, kids were, they were threatening kids with expulsion for for associating with or being a member of a, a sorority or a fraternity? Uh, this, this is one of the allegations in one of the lawsuits. There are two suits. Uh, one is filed in federal court, the other is state court. And one of the allegations is that uh, the, uh, the primary dean who was pushing for this, Rakesh Kurana, um, had actually threatened to expel undergraduates when he had a meeting with their graduate student leaders. These organizations have both their undergraduate members and then the, and then the people who are graduates who have, who have since um, graduated are still leading organizations. So uh, we're not sure exactly what kind of threats have been made against them, but the school for uh, several years now has been trying to convince them that they need to be co-ed or else they're, they're basically never going to get, get the university off their back. Unbelievable. Now, I mean, th- uh, this is Harvard. I, you know, I think most people, when they hear Harvard, they think that there are a lot of smart people up there. Um, what, what would it be that would make the administrators at Harvard think that anybody was forced to join any of these organizations if they didn't like the lack of inclusiveness or the elitism or anything else that they didn't like about it, they could, you know, not join. How how is that not part of the discussion? Harvard has this idea that um, that students kind of need organizations to be given to them and that functionally there wasn't enough of a social life on campus. Uh, so students felt compelled to try to join these organizations because that was the best way that they were going to get ahead while they were at Harvard. They would, they would get connections. They would, they would uh, advance their career prospects for later. Um, it's, it's kind of a bizarre situation here that, that Harvard is essentially – uh, uh, punishing students in groups who are off campus for not creating more of a social life for the campus. It's, it's a really bizarre argument. None of these groups have been associated with Harvard for uh, more than three decades now. 
Um, and the school seemed to be okay with that for a while. It only really started to worry about this uh, a few years ago um, when, when they thought these groups, I, I suppose, were kind of making bad PR for them, and then they decided, well, let's, let's try to interfere in a private organization's um, uh, inter- internal uh, uh, membership policies um, because then it'll make us look more inclusive. I guess that's the answer. I guess, uh, uh, Greg, it, the, the bizarre doesn't bother me as much as the stupid. I mean, you just said that they're trying to... This is a club that exists that that doesn't even necessarily have to exist on campus, and they're sticking their nose in, and because by by, and the way they do it is to tell kids that if they join a fraternity or a sorority, they're not going to be eligible for certain things like athletic uh, team captaincies and scholarships and fellowships and all that, right? Yeah, yeah, they're they're trying to cripple really the the career prospects, the future, the the connections of these students by saying we are going to withhold the privileges that we offered everybody else at Harvard, uh, such as these leadership positions, these um, these recommendation letters, um, and unless you kind of do what we say, because we think that uh, your organization will be more fair, more inclusive, that they won't have let's say toxic masculinity. Uh, the most bizarre part of this, in my view, and a lot of other people's view, is simply how it's affected women's groups on campus. Yep. Uh, they already they they already don't have really the uh, the the privileges, so to speak, of the men's groups because they're they're more recent. They often don't have their own spaces, and and Harvard managed to pretty much obliterate all of them. One of them has come back since this lawsuit was, was filed, and is, is kind of trying to pave the way for the others to come back now and say we can join together. Uh, we we don't have to all collapse under Harvard's you know blanket misogyny. Yeah, and uh, and so it actually is affecting women more than it is men. Uh, they were bragging, I understand, up there at, uh, in Cambridge about Harvard no longer having any women's social groups, women's uh, women only social groups, um, and so they thought that was uh, something. Uh, I guess a good selling point. It, it, it was a strange uh, allegation in here. Um, uh, one of the lawsuits said that uh, an administrator had had said that these uh, these women's groups, these sororities, and these these female final clubs had no value to campus. Quote no value. Um, it portrays them really as as kind of being at the mercy of the men. That they only started these organizations because men had their own organizations, and and they essentially don't have any agency of females. It's, it's a really bizarre retrograde um, argument. And um, and I, I think if you actually talk to the women of these organizations, they will say, "Why are you Why are you trying to attack our ability to form meaningful friendships and life relationships with other women? Uh, you know, we maybe we don't want to have men around all the time. Maybe we don't want to um, be be defined all the time in a co-ed situation. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it, it's 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 frankly just bizarre. And, and we'll see if judges think <laughs> it's just as bizarre. Again, uh, and we're we're talking to Greg Piper. He's the associate editor of the College Fix. Again, this is Harvard, you know. Uh, do you need to explain to somebody that a sorority, the reason that uh, women, girls might want to be in a sorority is to be in a place where there are no men? That's pretty much what it's for? <laughs> Why, is that? Why does that even have to be explained or, or condoned or justified? You know, I don't get it. It's a it's a strange pattern, but if you look more deeply at kind of the environment that's around a lot of these elite college campuses right now, the whole idea of gender is completely in flux. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, there there is there is this view that uh, that women still have rights, but what what women means is up for debate, and that uh, if you continue to uh, uh, maintain organizations that have women who are conventionally women, not not uh, men who identify as women. Uh, that you are you're really harming the campus. You're being transphobic. You're not being open-minded. Um, there's uh, there's one statement in, in one of these lawsuits where Harvard is actually explaining why it's trying to bring these uh, these groups into into co-ed status, and it says they're they're not part of the 21st century. They're essentially yep. so so out of date that they have not even entered the new millennium, and that's why they want to have men-only groups and women-only groups and associate with with their own kind. And, you know, in some space at Harvard, it uh, doesn't, doesn't have to be their entire Harvard experience, but they want one place at Harvard where they can hang around with their own kind. Uh, once again, what if I'm a woman at Harvard and I want to form a club called the 20th Women of the 20th Century Club? And we're going to we're going to stay in the 20th century because we like it. We liked things back then and we're not going to bother you. We're just going to have this club. And if you don't like the 20th century, you probably shouldn't join our club. I, I just I never I just don't get how this is happening on college campuses. That it's just so stupid. It's beyond belief. 
it's a it, it's a strange thing that could that could only happen, I would say, in the 21st century, and really maybe only in the last five years or so. Um, if, if that kind of club were to were to uh, form, my guess would be that Harvard would try to gently, uh, let's say, offer them a path to transition. This is what happened with the with the other clubs before Harvard kind of brought the hammer down on them. They said, "We'll give you kind of a transition period where you can you can officially change your rules to allow anyone to join. Uh, you can you can still kind of do your traditional recruitment there." They tried to portray this for for a couple of years as as being kind of like a gentle, let's get used to this new reality, and then and then they finally decided a year ago there's there's no more kind of transition here. We are simply going to force this down, and you're going to have to choose between uh, your your future with us or your future, let's say, through the club that you want to stay a member of. Now this is uh, off the path a little bit here, but it just occurred to me. Uh, and you are this is Greg Piper, associate editor of the College Fix, so you watch what's happening on colleges very closely. What's up with like uh, women and men's dormitories on college at Harvard, for example? Do they have uh, are are there any single gender, single sex dormitories, or is it just all mixed? I believe it's all mixed. I'm not sure if uh, if there are any that are they're kind of segregated. That would actually be uh, more in the trend of what we're seeing along the lines of dormitories and race, where there mm-hmm. are uh, colleges around the country. Uh, where uh, what, what are known as affinity groups can choose to live together in a space. Um, they may not legally say that you can't come in there, but they are essentially pitched toward a certain affinity groups. So let's say uh, you're, you're a man that wants to live in a, in a dorm with kind of women. Uh, they may not be able to keep you out legally, but it's, it's marketed toward women who want to be around women in that sense. Uh, you, you see a lot of dis- distinctions here uh, between, uh, between the marketing of how these things work and what the, what the universities will actually say if they're taken to court. So if you're a woman who would prefer not to have men walking in when they're taking a shower, they 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 accommodate them. Uh, I, I would I would assume so. There, there's some uh, distinction here because um, uh, some of these may have, uh, let's say, women floors, but there will be men in the building otherwise. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as the situation, that has not come up as far as I know in litigation or in kind of these uh, discussions here. It's kind of a, like you said, it's kind of a whole other topic here. Uh, I would say probably the best takeaway is that there's a really muddled message coming out uh, at campuses like Harvard where you, you have this promotion of women's rights and feminism, but it kind of runs headlong into this broader notion that there is no such thing really as gender, that you can identify with whatever you want. Uh, it doesn't have to make sense. Uh, you, you kind of just have to accept it all together, and it's contradictory, and uh, people just don't want to acknowledge it. Yeah, those two trains are heading down the same track, uh, headed for a collision, aren't they? At some point, they're going to have to figure that one out. Uh, I don't think they—I don't think they're there yet. Uh, they, they are not. You, you see a small movement of, of what are known as uh, what are known in a, in a Florida sense as trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Turf. Uh, these are tr- these are traditional feminists that we would recognize as, as kind of the, uh, the the feminists of the seventies and the eighties. Um, who are saying uh, w- women? Women are women. You can't just say you're a woman. There's a certain yeah. uh, social status that comes with being a woman, and they're pushing back mostly in these kind of online forums right now, um, less so in person. Um, and a lot of this is actually happening overseas. England is a hotbed of this kind of activity right now, where you see it increasingly uh, these transgender activist communities really kind of coming out uh, and, and you could say, behaving in a misogynist way toward these, uh, these traditional feminists who do not believe that um, men can identify as women, but that's not, a, that's not something society should recognize, and trying to further marginalize them. I think uh, you, could, you could easily see this coming out uh, on college campuses as you start to see more student groups that are interested in promoting unorthodox viewpoints that kind of go against the campus brain. And um, and really say these things out loud, and I and I think at that point you will see a lot more uh, kind of open clashes between these groups, between uh, the students who say women women are women and that's feminism, and the others that say women is whatever we wanted to mean. Uh, Heather McDonald's written a book about uh, inclusiveness and and all this stuff, and she, one of the things that's in her book, uh, she talks about how a lot of the stuff that's out there now off the college campuses. Uh, you're seeing it in politics and all this uh, stupidity about gender. It's all uh, the result of what's been happening on college campuses for the last X number of years. You you believe that? I, I think that's that's pretty accurate. I've been covering this for uh, about five years now, and I, I'll say it, it's uh, we've seen a lot of the stuff that was just happening on campus really filter out into the broader society. That's kind of that's kind of the argument for universities is that there's a test ground for what goes out to the rest of society. 
Um, and uh, and as, as many people have noticed, uh, a lot of the things that happen on campus, uh, we're, we're kind of fine with them uh, as a culture as long as they stay on campus, as, as long as we can kind of look and point and laugh at them at what they're doing. But when it goes off campus, then you start to see lawmakers, uh, you see just kind of ordinary citizens say, uh, we, we don't want this spreading to the broader society. You, you have this freedom here because we we designated this as kind of a special space for you know four years or whatever. Um, but we don't want our uh, our society to be, be defined by uh, the, this increasing um, clampdowns on what you can say, on views you can express, on on basically recognizing things like the biology of men and women. Um, and uh, and so and so you you see a lot more pushback now, a lot of especially a lot of Republican state legislatures uh, that are looking at how to uh, make sure that campuses don't kind of like uh, uh, filter out their their own kind of strange values to the rest of society, and making sure that students that are on campus make sure that their free speech is protected, that they are not going to be discriminated against for uh, kind of standing against the grain of you know these, these very progressive far left uh, institutions. Hey, I have less than a minute left, uh, Greg. You also have a story out today that involves Ben Shapiro and the college Republicans at Pitt. What's going on there? Yeah, this is based on uh, a, uh, a dispute between the college Republicans and the University of Pittsburgh, where uh, Ben Shapiro, uh, speaker and author, was coming to campus. This is um, uh, uh, last month now. Um, they had an agreement a month ahead of time that said uh, the university is going to provide all the security for it. This is actually laid out in the contract. Um, and uh, according to the College Republicans and the Young Americans Foundation, which is paying for this event, um, the uh, the university imposed a last-minute security fee of about $5,500 on the event. Uh, they said, we think it's going to draw a protest that's controversial. Um, and uh, and so they had, they had said, we'll, we'll pay the fee, but we're going we're gonna to take this to court if you don't back down. And so this is essentially the next step for them, saying we really are going to sue Unless uh, you revoke this um, this condition that you applied at the last minute to charge us for security, um, it's uh, it's not all that different from uh, some of the other disputes that we see, especially with Ben Shapiro. This has happened at many uh, many public universities, not just private universities, uh, where they have they have said that um, you are so controversial, you have such a reputation that we're afraid of what's going to happen if we don't have a giant security contingent there, and you have to pay for it because it's your fault for being controversial. More? Um, so I, I would I would be surprised if uh, if Pitt actually um, if, if Pitt goes forward and tries to challenge us in court. I don't think they really have a, a rationale for it. So we have uh, our own version of campus stupidity right here in Pittsburgh. Hey, uh, Greg, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Sure, good to be with you. Okay, and then we'll be right back. Don't be at a disadvantage when it comes to your Medicare coverage. The 2018 Donut Hole is closing fast. Open enrollment ends December 7th, and you have some important decisions to make today. This is John Stagerwald. Medicare is confusing. Todd Marley and the experts at Marley Financial know you have questions, and they have the answers you're looking for. Before you lock in for another year, are you sure you're getting the best coverage possible? Visit MarleyFG.com and find out for yourself. Do you hold Pat for 2019? Has your Advantage plan changed terms on you? What premiums are going up next year, and how much? Should you switch your Part D prescription plan or drop it all together? Don't go it alone. Let Marley Financial steer you to a comprehensive solution that lets you access any hospital or doctor you want. A plan that focuses not just on cost, but quality, with lower deductibles and co-pays that are little to none. Why get stuck paying thousands in out-of-pocket expenses? Visit MarleyFG.com today. That's MarleyFG.com. Are you about to pay double for new windows, siding, or doors? If you haven't called Windows R Us, you just might. Many companies are overcharging area homes and businesses nearly double. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is more than a window company. They're the area's premier exterior replacement company for roofs, gutters, siding doors, and, of course, windows. Windows R Us will never overcharge. You'll love their no-pressure approach, straightforward pricing, and the fastest turnaround in the business. Right now, get zero interest for 12 months and up to $20,000 on new vinyl, fiberglass, or wood windows. With options like triple-pane glass and names like Pella, no hidden fees or surprises ever. Your no-loophole lifetime warranty covers everything, including glass breakage, at no additional cost. Mention AM1250 with your free estimate for an exclusive 10% off. Why pay double? Visit the area's premier exterior replacement company, windowsrspittsburgh.com. 
The Original Mattress Factory's mission is simple. We hand-build quality mattresses in our local factories. We sell those mattresses directly to our customers so we can eliminate the middleman, saving you hundreds of dollars compared to mainstream brands. While the other guys have their gimmicks, the Original Mattress Factory has a straightforward approach and is committed to quality and doing what's best for our customers. It's what we've done for almost 30 years. Go to OriginalMattress.com to see the OMF difference for yourself. Great beds, no bull. That is the Original Mattress Factory difference. Quality products plus factory direct prices equals great value. Mattresses that are designed with better materials. Mattresses that are hand-built in local factories. Mattresses that cost hundreds less than the mainstream mattress brands. Now, I know what you're thinking. This all sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it isn't. Stop by one of our factory locations or visit us at OriginalMattress.com to see the OMF difference for yourself. The Original Mattress Factory. Thoughtfully made, honestly priced. Over two-thirds of Christian young people will step away from their faith while attending a non-Christian college or university. But AM 1250 The Answer and Salem Media Pittsburgh have a solution. Salem Media Pittsburgh has partnered with Judson University, a private Christian college, in offering a limited number of special grants designed to decrease the cost of tuition by over half. These tuition grants are available now. Call our tuition solution specialist at 412-503-4769 to reserve yours. You wouldn't put a square peg in a round hole, so why would you deploy a traditional firewall in a modern decentralized network? Firewalls have new requirements for businesses leveraging SaaS-based applications and public cloud platforms like AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. We're in the cloud generation now, so your firewalls have to be engineered to fit right in. Reclaim your cloud network. Try a Barracuda cloud generation network or application firewall free at barracuda.com slash firewalls. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, we uh, only have a minute or so here. I just wanted to give you an update on a story we had a couple of days ago. We kind of follows up on our last segment about the stupidity at Harvard. Uh, there was a fraternity, Sigma Chi, out at Stanford. They, uh, they disbanded it. Uh, they didn't like the fraternity. Uh, the fraternity was doing its best to try to get back in the good graces of the school, and they had an American flag uh, there at the at the fraternity house, and the advisor at the school said, uh, you know, one thing that you might do it would really help uh, with your image would be to get rid of that big American that American flag you have out there that might be offending some people, which you know doesn't shouldn't surprise anybody on a college campus. But the best thing about this is that is that instead of taking the guy's advice and um, uh, getting rid of their flag. The boys at Sigma Chi, they went out and got a bigger one. I like that a lot. And when we uh, see you tomorrow, we're going to talk to Sally Wigan tomorrow. She retired from TV. She was on for a long time. She and I work together. We'll have a conversation about the good old days of local news and what's going on now. We'll do that tomorrow. I'll see you then. Bye. The John Steigerwall Show is a production of AM 1250, The Answer, and Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.